I really wasted a lot of time trying to figure it out. But when put in a brainstorming scenario, I really thrive. When I'm not in that environment, it can be a real downside to my contribution to the company. I know that I love being interrupted. Like I love when people come to my desk and they need something. Like that brings me joy um, to be able to help someone in their problem. Welcome to Venn, the podcast where we explore the intersections between unlikely combinations of topics. I'm Joel Sam. And I'm Ted Tyler. Today, we'll be looking at the intersection between engineering and extroversion, two topics that normally you wouldn't think there's a lot of overlap. And to do that, I'll be asking my co-host, Joel Sam, some questions about his experience being an engineer who is extroverted. Joel and I have known each other about a year, little over two years now. Uh, we met through a mutual friend and then had an opportunity to uh, become better friends when I moved to College Station for grad school. So as Joel and I spent a lot of time together, we've had a lot of really great conversations, mostly over coffee at our, one of our favorite places, Lupa's. Shout out to Lupa's. That's free advertising. Lupa's, if you want to get in on our program now, we'll catch you a deal. Just send us a message. But anyway, I wanted to ask Joel just some questions about um, his perspective on these two topics. Um, but some of you might not know Joel. Um, so Joel, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then I'll start asking you some questions. Right. Well, thanks, Ted. I I'm an engineer, like we've also mentioned, but I'm also a pretty strong extrovert. And a lot of the backstory behind that um, lies behind the fact that I didn't know I was an extrovert until I was about 20 or 21. Um, and that has a lot to do with kind of my childhood and my upbringing. Um, but I did know from my childhood that I liked math and science. I liked to understand the technical aspects of things and how things work. I liked problem solving. And I had a cousin who I was close with growing up who was also an engineer. And so engineering seemed like a natural route. Um, even when I was as young as six, the jobs, the dream jobs that I said I wanted were along the lines of astronaut or architect or things that were very technical, exploring science and, and applying science to solve everyday problems. And so I knew that growing up and it just seemed natural for me to study engineering. I didn't even consider any other disciplines as I was applying for college and choosing what I wanted to do with my life. Um, but my journey through college as I was studying academically and I was growing socially, I realized pretty quickly that I really had a strong love of people and I didn't have a lot of close friends growing up. And so when I realized that I had the strong love, lung of, excuse me, love of people, it kind of came as a shock. It, uh, I didn't, it was all kind of flowing past me in slow motion as I observed my personality change from year to year. And I realized that my true self was kind of being discovered. And so this was happening at a very formative time in my life as I was taking lots of classes and, and applying to grad school and just trying to figure out what to do with my life. And so I realized the tension between um, engineering, which is commonly something that's done by people who are typically introverted, who like to kind of just sit by themselves and solve problems who only really tr 
explore communication when it's necessary to achieve a goal and extroversion, which is kind of characterized by my fun loving nature, my desire to travel and explore and, and kind of not sit still. Um, I really enjoy meetings. That's kind of the best part of my work life, which probably freaks some people out. Um, and so no, I don't want to paint a picture that engineering and extroversion are ant- antithetical. I know a lot of extroverted engineers. Um, but for me, that having both of those aspects of my personality and really loving both of those things has led to tension and a, a feeling of a strange dichotomy in my life. Wow. Joel, could you go back to something you said at the very beginning? So you were talking about, wasn't really until your early 20s, I think you said 21, where you realized, oh, I'm an extrovert. And you mentioned, you know, love of people, which a lot of people, which a lot of extroverts would say, oh, I am energized by people. But could you tell us a little bit more about maybe some of the circumstances that led you to that awareness of, oh, I'm not an introverted engineer, oh, I'm, a, but I'm actually an extroverted engineer. What was that process like? Can you tell us a little bit more about that journey? Yeah, great question. I would say it was definitely my sophomore year of college. I had a lot of studying to do, and I noticed that I was a lot better at studying when I was at a coffee shop. And I had a tendency to kind of invite a lot of friends. Um, I was also in a student organization called The Navigators and just kind of accidentally, kind of voluntarily became somewhat of a social coordinator within that sphere. Um, And I didn't really understand the significance of that, that my personality was kind of changing or kind of awakening. Um, I just realized that I loved inviting people to things. I loved bringing people together. I loved, um, I knew that I had to study and and I knew other people had to study and I cultivated and created opportunities for that studying to happen where we can mutually encourage each other and we could build friendships along the way. Some of the best friendships I had originated in these study groups that I created. Um, And it all really kind of my extreme extroversion, I would say that on most personality testing scales, I am at the in the upper 90 90th percentile 95th percentile when it comes to extroversion i would say that um that really awakened when i went on a summer project in branson missouri and i and i lived in an apartment um with college students from all over the country and um worked at a, an amusement park for 2 months and was only got 6 hours or fewer of sleep a day and was around people 24/7 that was where I really realized, oh, like I'm thriving in this environment nonstop. Like I can, I can hang out all day and do fill my day with activities. I, I require no time for solitude and no time for rest in order to feel um, healthier functioning. So was that like figuring out you're an extrovert? Was that a pretty quick journey once you started thinking about it? Or was there any hesitation as you were thinking about that? Was there... Did you spend any time trying to maybe doubt your reflection or doubt, oh, maybe I'm not just like this. Maybe it's just my circumstances. Or was it a pretty quick and seamless, oh, I am an extrovert and it just took me a long time to come to that reality. Um, what was the what was the process like? Was there any doubt or was it a pretty quick transition? I would say it's complicated. Um, like I mentioned earlier, that summer when I was 20 was when I realized, oh, I'm on the extreme end of the scale. That summer was also the first summer where I really even thought about personality. I don't think the terms introvert or extrovert were really in my vocabulary until that year. And 
I had never taken the time or done any sort of work in understanding myself and um, understanding my personality. Like it just wasn't something that I cared about or thought about very much at all. And so that summer, as I was probably the summer I got into Myers-Briggs and started talking to people about it, and um, I realized, oh, I'm on the extreme end of this scale. Have I always been this way or is this a new development? And the answer to that question is ambiguous because I think growing up prior to college, I didn't really have very many opportunities to access my extroverted side. Um, I, I remember I spent the vast majority of my time with my family. And when I was with my family, I think I had a tendency to self-isolate. And so it's really ambiguous. I, I honestly, to this day, don't really know what my personality was like in high school because the variables and the circumstances were so different that I became somewhat of an extreme subset of w- what my personality could be. Um, so I, I know that's a complicated answer to that question, but to, to say it succinctly, I it did take a long time for me to figure out who I was or who I was becoming. Mm. Yeah, and that makes sense. I, as you were mentioning, it wasn't until you got involved with this campus ministry that you started thinking about personality tests. And I think that's part of what it means to be involved in a campus ministry is you take lots of ridiculous personality tests and you <laughs> overanalyze them and yourself and all your friends and you apply all these labels. Uh, very tongue in cheek, though, for our listeners. I love, I love uh, campus ministry. What was uh, I'm curious as you were, and even sounds like still are trying to even figure out what exactly this shift means and your awareness of your personality. What was the reaction of your friends and family? Did they notice any change? Is it even something you discussed with them? Like, did you involve other people in this journey of exploration? Yeah, can you just tell us about that? Of course. Um, I actually have a pretty firm memory of my parents, my mom, who's who's a pretty um, kind of a quirky person, although she hides it well. She gave me a nickname at some point during my childhood. I think it was during high school. She used to call me the antisocial animal. And uh, I never took this very seriously. I don't know. I, I always kind of brushed it off because I was like, mom, why are you giving me this kind of mean nickname? Uh, but I mean, it was all in kind of her love and wanting to wanting me to be more social growing up. Um, and I wasn't, and I think it was because I didn't have anyone I really connected with or didn't have an opportunity to, um, thrive. I didn't have activities to stimulate me. I just kind of had the, the family and, um, that close social network or that small social bubble. Um, and so as I, as I observed my personality changing and, uh, I would go back home to my parents who, and I, I noticed that when I was home, I would tend to self-isolate. Um, I would kind of go to my room and spend hours there. Um, and it was it was almost like I was reverting to a more comfortable kind of environment in childhood. Um, but as I had more independence, I realized, oh, I can leave the house whenever I want. Like when I go back home for the holidays, you know, this is me as a 20 year old realizing, oh, I have a car and I have money and I have freedom. Like I can go and hang out with friends. And I did. And over the years, my parents who considered me antisocial, I guess they were confused when they saw me um, spending a lot of time with people and getting out of the house all the time and never wanting to really uh, never feeling the need to self-isolate. 
as I grew up. Um, and I think they did observe that change. And uh, I think it was is most pronounced where nowadays we'll go to weddings um, of their family friends and I'll be meeting people and and um, making new connections and relationships. And my parents will be like, are you ready to go? And I'm like, no, I haven't finished talking to everyone. And so I think it is kind of jarring for them to see that transformation. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say with for my friends, um, I think a lot of my friends were on me on this journey with me. And so it was less jarring for them. They they I think they observed it more as me discovering my true self. So yeah, it sounds like maybe your family were the people that had the biggest reaction. Is this funny, like hearing their reaction to you, just picturing you maybe as an introvert or someone who's antisocial, which not I definitely do not think introverts are antisocial. I'm a big introvert and I fight for our reputation. We're not antisocial. But for your parents, I'm sure it was very just jarring just as for me to hear a time where Joel was an, maybe an introvert or had introvert behavior just doesn't compute. I mean, when I think of Joel, I think of probably my most outgoing friend. So it's interesting just the perspective. I would have been fascinated to meet and interact with a, a young introverted Joel. I don't really know what I would do with that now. <clears throat> I'm not really sure how I would respond yeah. And, and again, once again, the answer to that is it's complicated. Um, I don't think I was truly an introvert. I think I was an extrovert who didn't have the opportunities to thrive or the opportunities to reach my full potential. Um, and I think with friends at school, I was actually pretty social and um, I would initiate, you know, fun activities and, and within the scope of what I had available to me. But um, because I didn't spend a lot of time outside of school with friends, um, I just didn't have the potential or the, 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 the room, the space to um, access that side of my personality. Mm. Yeah. And that's, it sounds like college was that opportunity to have that access as you're, you're not going home per se, but at the end of the day, you're going to a dorm room or you're coming home to an apartment or a house that you rent with roommates and you're involved in various organizations or you're inviting people to study. So you had access to really grow and, and foster the development of that part of your personality. Let's shift gears a little bit and bring in the engineering aspect of this discussion because it really, you know, when I think of friends that are engineers and extroverts, I can just think of two and you're one of them that fits that, that the VIN, the overlap of those, uh, of those two things for you. I know you mentioned a little bit about engineering, the idea of like problem solving. Would you say before you picked engineering that is your field is your, what you're studying, what you're doing, that there were other things you were considering or were you pretty set on engineering as a field, like when you came into college? Well, earlier, like I said, introversion and extroversion weren't in my vocabulary. In a similar vein, the idea of vocation and personality, that those having any anything to do with one another, those were not in my vocabulary at all. And so for me, your vocation was selected by what subjects you excelled in in school. So if you liked math and science, you would study STEM. If you liked reading and literature or history, you'd go into liberal arts or sociology or something like that. Um, I didn't understand what business majors, like I didn't understand how to become a business major because you didn't take business classes in high school. So being a business major, like wasn't even a legitimate option to me 
because I didn't, I'd only taken one semester of economics. So like, how could I even possibly qualify to be a business major? I understand that that's ridiculous, but that's the logic that was in my brain. I also now know that economics is a liberal art somehow. That still doesn't quite make sense to me. I There's a lot in that that I don't understand, but it's kind of, it further accentuates that what I understood about voca- vocations was really flawed and and I was missing a lot of the picture when it came to like what makes a vocation and that it doesn't necessarily correlate with academic fields of study. Um, so that's the, that's the main thing. Like because I, my scope of vocation and my understanding of how that connected with academics was so limited, I really didn't consider anything outside of engineering because I didn't know how to get there. I sometimes heard the phrase like, oh, I just want a job where I work with people. And that phrase would go in my head and it would just go in one ear and out the other because I didn't have the language or the um, understanding to even rationalize that. Like, what does that mean? That meant nothing to me. The idea of a quote unquote people oriented job was just a foreign concept. Hmm. Well, I'm really tempted to go down this economics rabbit trail because the answer to your question is university politics. That's what it's all about. Do you (laughs) put the econ degree? I know it is, but real quick, just indulge me for just a minute. Okay. Okay. We got this. It's a rabbit trail, but do you put the econ degree in the liberal arts department? Do you put it in the business school or like in my undergrad institution, the University of Arkansas, do you put it in both and let people pick which one they want to be in? Wait, it's in both? Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. You can, How do you... They have different requirements, different curriculum <laughs> So things. they're different majors? You get a you get like a BA in econ versus a BS in econ? Well, it's different as to who grants it. And you do have some different requirements. But yeah, it is, it is, is something Is one clearly better that. than the other? I mean, I think when it comes to econ, it depends what you want to do. Like, do you want to sure. be in theory or do you want to be in business? This this could be a whole nother episode. But, I, you know, as an academic, you know, I'm a grad student. We, you know, we care about these yeah. kind of things. Um, but it's complicated. It's politics. Maybe it's politics. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you know, as an engineer, you know, you were attracted to that because of your familiarity and your interest and you're good at math and science. And so that was something that really drew you to that subject. As a as an extrovert though, and being an engineer, you know, not things that are common. What do you think are some of the maybe advantages first? Let's talk about the advantages of bringing the extroverted perspective, extroverted personality to a field that I would say traditionally, and at least in my thinking and, and views, is dominated more by introverts. What do you think are some of the advantages that you bring just based on your personality, probably being in the minority as an extrovert? I'm um, a mechanical engineering specialist at a company called Lintech, where we do research and development. And um, my day-to-day looks like a pretty typical office job. Um, I have the blessing of being at a company that is a lot more collaborative than your typical engineering or science company. Um, We have open cubicles. We have lots of collaborative opportunities for brainstorming, for writing proposals, for um, working on projects. Um, We do a lot of cross-pollination. So even outside of the engineering group, I get to work with material science groups and um, chemistry groups and biology groups and um, electrical engineers. And there's a lot of cross-pollination there, which is really suited to my personality. So some of the areas where I thrive is I am someone who 
is very eager to work on team development activities. And some of those examples could be um, helping with our interview process and optimizing how we interview candidates, how we evaluate them and um, critically assess different aspects of what they can bring to the table. Um, So now our interview processes um, kind of go the whole day. They go from typically 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then we have a one hour debrief after that. Uh, We actually interviewed a candidate today. And so uh, my role today in the interview process was uh, the lunch portion where we take the candidate out to lunch. And the objective of the lunch portion is to evaluate their personality and their fit with the company and kind of their non-technical skill. And so that's an area where I really thrive. I think I'm someone who can have a quick conversation with a person, uh, maybe an hour, and really try to understand their psychology, understand their motivations, ask them critical questions, um, understand their fit within the team and how they respond to interpersonal challenges. I think I really enjoy the people problem or the or understanding how is this person going to react when placed in this scenario. And so as an interviewer, I think I have the added benefit of because I really enjoy people and I really thrive off of that energy. I think as a result, I can more accurately predict how they'll respond to certain challenges. Um, And I'm more likely to be a peacemaker. I'm more likely to go out and communicate to them uh, when something needs to be fixed and are more likely to try and remedy any potential conflict. Um, And so optimizing the interview process and being a good interviewer is something that I uh, really enjoy and something that takes very little energy from me. Um, There's also kind of a lot of opportunities for collaborative work. Sometimes there can be bad blood between groups if they uh, misunderstand each other, which sometimes scientists and engineers approach problems in different ways. And so as an engineer who is really social, I often take the initiative in working with scientists and um, including them on projects or getting them to include engineers on projects and really connecting people across the company. I think I knew everyone in the company's name within my first month there. Um, And I view myself as a connector, whereas other people may want to just Google something to solve a problem. I would much rather talk to someone to solve a problem. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of of thinking about it and framing it. And I would say your cohort of engineers and scientists being introverted, they probably enjoy having someone that wants to be involved in the people process and but also someone that as an engineer, you you know, you have a master's degree in material science, your background is mechanical, you understand the engineering part. So you're not just a people guy. But you do understand the engineering, so you understand the work that needs to happen. But you're also someone who's highly drawn towards people, connection, making things work. So I can really see how there is a natural fit. And there's probably, whether or not the people that you work with voice it, there is probably an appreciation of, oh, thank goodness we have Joel to do this people stuff. Uh, Maybe I wouldn't rather do that right now. We have Joel who understands our needs and but also wants to be involved in the interview process. There's probably not a lot of people that you work with that would want to be taken away from their work, you know, nine to three to interview someone. But it's not like you love that, like really thrive, enjoy the variety. Um, but you're also an engineer and so you can work alongside them, 
Um, you can manage. So it sounds like there is a lot of natural connection and overlap. What are some of the areas that don't overlap well? Like what are maybe some of the challenges that you face just with your personality and with your career choice? What are some of the challenges an extroverted engineer faces? Yeah. Um, well, I definitely face those challenges on a daily basis. Um, in grad school, like I mentioned earlier, grad school kind of it really helps to be introverted because you have to do a lot of it by yourself. You're writing a thesis, you're doing all this research, collecting all this data. Um, it So it, it helps to be very comfortable spending long periods of time by yourself. I got lucky in grad school because the majority of my experiments, I could set them up and let them run. And then I could go to a library or a coffee shop and process the data from the day before, and which is a more stimulating environment um, where I was really likely to run into friends and chat with them. Um, and then I could go back to my experiment, shut it down, and then process that more of that data at night. And then I could do a lot of my work in a variety of environments. Um, but now that I'm in an office scenario, I find that a lot of my working environment is pretty repetitive. And a lot more of the work is dependent upon me um, just kind of taking the reins and figuring it out on my own. And so I tend to thrive either when I am doing a solo task that I'm very comfortable with and I am familiar with and I can just tear right through it. But if it's a new task or a new field and I have to figure something out on my own, I strongly prefer a collaborative element there. And at my company, sometimes I can ask someone for help and they can teach me. But a lot of times that's either not economically viable because it's costing a lot of time for someone to train someone else, or it's just not possible because no one else at my company has the knowledge that I need at that moment. And so the habit of self-teaching um, on new problems or new challenges or tasks that I can't really get trained up by someone in or I can't really um, have a quick conversation to figure out. Those are the most challenging elements. Sometimes I find myself sitting at my desk for hours on end trying to design a part or create an Excel spreadsheet that's calculating um, a lot of fluid dynamics or um, trying to sit, sit, even sitting at reading, sitting and reading in order to collect data and write a proposal. Um, if that, if I spend too much time doing that, I tend to get really restless and um, I tend to get really unproductive. And so I've learned that to mitigate that, I need to not be afraid to ask people for help because in the long run, it's more efficient for me to just ask for help. Um, and then also just take a lot of breaks. Like I take walks outside to kind of break up the flow of the monotony. Um, I try to kind of mix up my working environment. I like that we have an open working environment. And so that I like to kind of keep my ears perked in case um, someone has a question that I can jump in and answer or pretend to answer um, or just a conversation that can help um, give me more energy. You know, Joel, you do have that fun little perk up when there's an activity. What's the what's the animal? Is it is it a meerkat? They just meerkats like, or or um, a prairie dogs. Prairie dogs. Okay, prairie dogs kind of have that like position where they like perk up and yeah. If, if you've been around Joel, 
you you know what I'm talking about where he hears senses some opportunity for social interaction or just maybe sees or hears someone's voice in a coffee shop and bolts for action. I just kind of imagine you uh, doing that at, at work. like being you know being the minority as a extroverted engineer have you know we talked a little bit about how you work with people but do they really like know what to do with you have they figured that out about you how have you gone about saying hey i'm an engineer but i'm also really extroverted what what do people do with you at, at work and how do they what has it been like having them adjust to having an extrovert someone who wants to be with people a lot in an engineering environment yeah, the responses vary. Um, actually, today at work, uh, it just came up naturally that we were looking at the personality test that we all took when we were hired at the company. And there's a master spreadsheet that uh, this is this is engineering for you. Like we'll make a spreadsheet out of anything. Um, and uh, there's a master spreadsheet that compares everybody's numbers and and kind of ranks each person in each metric. And so you can filter them in a hundred different ways and compare each person to the average. It's really nerdy, uh, but it's also really interesting because you can learn a lot about people. And uh, there's a 10 point scale. There's a lot of different scales for different aspects of personality, but there's a 10 point scale for person for um, uh, extroversion and uh, where, where one is most independent and 10 is the most social. And I got a 10 out of 10, not surprising, but the next highest score out of all 30 engineers was a seven. And then they went all the way down to one. And so to be significantly more social than the 30 closest people I work with is very, um, oh, it can be, it can be strange sometimes. I love meetings. And so Whenever we have a meeting, I'm really engaged. I'm really productive. I contribute a lot. Today, I had a brainstorming meeting and I was just, I had a lot of sweet tea. So I was also really energized and I just contributed a lot of new ideas to this problem that we were working with. But this is also the same project where I had wasted hours and hours prior trying to understand it on my own, trying to understand our previous design, just sitting and reading the documents. I, I really wasted a lot of time trying to figure it out just because I got bogged down with these technical details that I had to parse and understand and attempt to um, attempt to apply by myself. But when put in a brainstorming scenario, I really thrived. And so that's an example of how um, my personality can sometimes be detrimental to the efficiency of how we do engineering at my company, because yes, we brainstorm a lot and we're very collaborative compared to other engineering situations. But um, when I'm not in that environment, it can be a real downside to my contribution to the company. Um, it can, it can be. It's definitely a challenge, a hurdle that I need to uh, that I need to conquer. I need to get better at working on my own. Otherwise, I am um, kind of a chink in the armor of my company's success. Um, when it comes to interactions between coworkers, just kind of in the everyday mix of things. Um, I know that I love being interrupted. Like I love when people come to my desk and they need something like that brings me joy um, to be able to help someone in their problem. But I know that not everyone thinks that way. In fact, for most of the introverted coworkers I have, 
they don't like being interrupted and because they're focusing on a problem and they're trying to figure it out and my interruption breaks their flow and hurts their efficiency. And so learning that um, and learning how to deal with that has been one of the one of the hills I've had to climb at my job. Um, I know that when I first started, I would interrupt my boss all the time and he's a really strong introvert. Um, but luckily he's the kind of person who will engage in a conversation with all of his energy if it's for a purpose that he believes in. And so I'm really grateful for him and for his willingness to accommodate me and my incessant questions, um, as I started. And so I've learned to kind of observe people's work styles and know that, okay, I can see what they're working on. I can assess the importance of what they're working on and I can ask myself, okay, is it really going to be mutually beneficial for me to ask this question right now? Or would it be better asked in a different setting when we're all there to communicate? And so kind of like learn, getting in the habit of knowing when not to interrupt someone, um, getting in the habit of saving some of my, um, some of my questions that aren't pressing for meetings and uh, learning how to best respect other people's personalities has been an important part of understanding the greater social dynamic. Mm. Let's shift the focus away from from work. I think you've done a really good job sharing about the different scenarios and situations you encounter. What about outside of work? You know, you're very extroverted. You're spending a lot of time with people. Do you ever feel that as an extroverted engineer, you know, your primary knowledge, like what you're thinking about is science and engineering. Do you ever feel like it's you ever feel like there's any challenges like relating to people, like having a having a source of knowledge that's maybe different than most of the people that are out and about socializing, or or maybe you don't encounter that. But what is your what's your what's just been your uh, situation, or how how do you interact with people? Does it affect your interaction? Yeah, the answer to that question is kind of a double edged sword. So on one hand, I'll, I guess I'll start with the negatives and then move to the positive. Um, the downside, sometimes when I'm having conversations with people, well, one, I don't love talking about engineering um, because I do it 40 hours a week and it's engineering is not necessarily life giving of itself. My what's life giving about my job is the actual the bigger picture, like being able to work as part of a team and create things that are interesting and help people and solving the technical challenges there. Um, but you know, the actual technical nitty gritty does not excite me. I don't like talking about the technical aspects of what I do. I'd much rather talk about the significance of what I do. And so sometimes I'm talking with people about what their jobs are, what they do. I remember I was recently in a conversation with someone I met at a wedding and he was talking about being a social worker. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I just watched the Joker movie and there's a whole plot subplot in there about social work and and its pros and cons. Tell me more about that. And I had so many follow up questions and it was a really engaging conversation. But the that won't happen if I tell someone I'm an engineer and they're like, oh, what are you working on? And I say, oh, I'm building this obscure piece of technology for the government. They don't have any follow up questions because they don't have any greater social awareness of what engineering is like. And there's not even a, uh, a conversation. There's not even language to have a conversation about that. Occasionally, maybe if I tell someone, yeah, I did my, um, 
uh, graduate work in 3D printing of these metals, they'll be like, oh, yeah, 3D printing is so cool. Like, you can make whatever shape you want. And I'm like, yeah, I made rectangles because I was exploring this complicated material property. And the conversation ends there. So I think um, this is kind of maybe another podcast, but there is a dearth. There's a huge just lack of engineering representation in media. Um, the best example that you have is maybe like big bang theory and that's pretty inaccurate for a variety of reasons. So, or maybe you have Dilbert comics or, um, uh, maybe like uh, Apollo 13 or something. Um, but really uh, engineers, I mean, wh- where have you seen a TV show about engineering? You haven't, right? You have like the office where they don't do any work. Uh, and they're not even engineers, so it's not even like relevant. It just well, even, captures the office culture. Even the Big Bang Theory, they always make fun of Howard for only having a master's degree. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the punchline is, though, anyone can get a master's degree. And so I feel like engineers, yeah, I think you're right. There is something that perhaps the work isn't portrayed in a very culturally relevant way. It's not way sexy. Or- engineering isn't sexy by any means. You mean you have like the Howard Wolowitz example, and he's just like a complete dork. And it's it's i don't know there's engineers are so diverse they have a variety of personalities they have a, a variety of hobbies they have a variety of applications um the closest you can get is maybe like silicon valley where computer science is becoming sexy and big tech is becoming sexy but i would say that yes that's kind of engineering in a way but that's not really what most engineers do um so the, the, yeah there's a lack of representation in media and that means that a lot of people don't know about engineering and they don't ask good questions about engineering. And uh, it's not fun to talk about at parties. Well, actually, I want to push back on that a little bit. I think uh, just as listening to you talk about the way you discuss your work, it almost sounds like there's really like your desire is to, you know, you're mentioning, oh, I do obscure projects for the government. It almost sounds like just the way you word it. That maybe you're not quite open to having a conversation about it. Do you think? Do you think for you that it's an issue of oh I'm not working, so I don't want to talk about it, or do you think oh I'd maybe only rather talk about it with someone who's knowledgeable, or this person's probably not interested, so I'm trying to save us both from a really boring path. But but why why do you even maybe describe your work as oh it's just an obscure project for the government or I just did 3D printing of rectangles. Because for me as your friend, like I feel like you've done some really interesting projects that are not just good level science, but have real world implications. Like you were telling me um, last semester, I believe, was about the um, uh, the the stent or, or valve that might have application for for heart surgery. Like that's that's amazing. So do you think it's do you think it's totally fair to say people aren't interested, or do you think that you're Maybe even the way you're talking about it, not giving people an opportunity to engage. Yeah, that's a great observation. I think something that kind of we need to distinguish between, um, and again, this is different from engineer to engineer. Some engineers love talking about the technical details. Um, I would say the actual work of engineering is the technical details. I would say the actual work of any vocation is the is what is actually being done. Like what is my specialized knowledge that leads to the solving of this problem? And 
for engineering in particular, and this is also true for a lot of hard sciences and anything really academic where you need a lot of background knowledge to even understand the problem. Um, so sometimes you can say, oh, I am making this biomedical device. It is a um, drug infusion pump for servicemen. It is really low power, really. And, and you know, we're, we're solving this very specific problem. Um, you can talk about it at a high level. But any follow-up questions get too technical for a non-engineer to really contribute well to the conversation. Now, the more interesting conversation is what is the significance of the technology? How does this technology play into the greater role of what the military does and is seeking to accomplish? And that's that is a I'd say you know how does this technology change the landscape of technology? Is it groundbreaking? Is it going to change the game? Those are the more interesting questions that non-technical people or people in a different field can really um, comment on. And so I think it's a bit of give and take. Um, I think part of it is my personality. I love to talk about um, the bigger picture, and I love to talk about. I love to include. I don't want to simply word vomit over someone. I would much rather engage them in a conversation where they can participate by applying their experience and their um, worldview to what I'm talking about. And I think that's what makes a good conversation. And so I think with my work, it is sometimes difficult to really make an interesting conversation out of something obscure. And sometimes I've just, I'm just done talking about it. Like I've talked about it at work all day. I don't want to talk about it anymore. In fact, I would much rather talk about something else. I would rather learn about someone else. Does that, um, does that maybe capture uh, what you're saying? I think it's a, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of me and who I am and how I function. And it's also a bit of the technical details that are involved. Yeah. I think that, I think that answers my question. You know, it was interesting today we were talking in staff meeting about really the importance of, you know, as we discuss things, we can tell people maybe what we do or what our organization does. And, you know, that's factual and people can understand. But I think there's something about the why and so the relevance. And I think for you, as you were just describing, oh, we have this project that has implications for battlefield medicine and saving soldiers' lives. I think that's much more interesting and a great way to describe, you know, what you're doing, you know, the implications of it without getting too technical. Cause yeah, you're right. If people don't understand the specific engineering principles or they don't understand the advanced level science, there is a limit to where the conversation can go. But I think there is something pretty amazing about the why, like, why do you do something? Why are you working on a project and sharing that with people? And maybe that's a way to change how engineering is perceived. We can get away from, oh, it's just people sitting behind some code or working on some circuit boards or hydraulic. I mean, I don't know. I even don't really know what um, what engineers do, but I know yeah, it's sometimes more I don't either. So oh, sometimes you don't either. <laughs> yeah, we're on the same page there. <laughs> okay, so we're on the same page there. Okay, well, well, that's good. I'm at least I'm not so far off. I'm curious, what uh, what are some things you think that people maybe some misconceptions people have about you, given this unique intersection? as a engineer and an extrovert are the things people you think tend to misconceive about people like you and whether it's you specifically or 
people that maybe share, like hopefully there's some people out there that are listening or could listen that share your circumstances of being an engineer and being an extrovert. What do you think are some of the, maybe the myths that you try and dispel or those misconceptions that you try and work towards and change? Great question. I'd say the first one that comes to mind is kind of there's the stereotype when people enter the working world and they're in an office job, they're in a nine to five, they're working all day. And a lot of people who spend their day working, they want to go home and rest. Um, Whereas for me, I've spent my day, some days I'm by myself a lot and that exhausts me. And what I need to do to recharge is go do an activity with friends or go do something different, go on an adventure or um, just have a good conversation. And I think that's the biggest challenge I've faced is that um, my version of rest is either going on an adventure or spending time with people either in a either going either out at a restaurant or um, doing trivia or in just having a conversation really in any context or working on uh, music with my band, something stimulating, something to get me out of the sitting by myself and solving a problem, making a podcast with your friend, making a podcast with my friend, Ted, you know? And so I think people don't know that. I think there may be people who know me at a certain surface level perhaps and they know that i have a full-time job as an engineer and that i work 40 hours a week and i'm quote unquote busy but that mean but what they if they don't really understand me they may not be inclined to invite me to something after work they may be hesitant to invite me over to their house um to like have a board game night or spend time together at you know on a weeknight I think there there's a perception that sometimes people who have busy jobs need to just go home and rest all the time. And perhaps that's I'm being myopic here and I'm just on the extreme end of the personality spectrum. And so I'm exaggerating everyone else's personality. Um, but r- really, I think that's something that I've observed is that people are surprised that I have a very active life outside of work. And for me, it's because I need it. If I didn't have a very active life outside of work, I um I would be kind of really challenged. I I feel drained at work and drained at home. That makes sense. What's it uh you know so you talked about most people when they hear that you work full time they think oh you're busy probably means I shouldn't message Joel after work, shouldn't invite him to do stuff. It sounds like you're really just craving that constant interaction and that's really what you want and need and desire to feel to feel healthy as you're interacting with people, you're given energy. What's it like to be by yourself though? Is that sounds like that could be a major challenge. Do you think uh do you think there's ever instances where because you're so wired towards like being with people that it maybe keeps you from a healthy level of solitude, self-reflection. Is that something you encounter and and how do you handle that? Yeah, I would say that my inclination is toward avoiding time spent by myself um, for a couple of reasons. One is that it's simply my brain is not at its greatest capacity of problem solving. And so when I'm at work, I know that 
okay, I should try to minimize the solo technical work that I do because it's not efficient for me and it's not efficient for the company. And so that has, in, in from a work productivity standpoint, that has taken largely the form of volunteering for as many projects as I can that are more collaborative, more build oriented, more um, communication oriented. But on the flip side, I've also been challenging myself to say, okay, I'm in this role. I want to be good at my job. Part of that includes sometimes doing what's hard and sitting by myself and solving a problem. So how can I intentionally grow in that area? And the answer has been to find the projects that I am most interested in technically and focus, try to shift my solo technical time to the projects that are the most interesting. Um, There's a tool called the Freedom Compass, and I won't go into it now, but essentially it separates your work into different zones. And your drudgery zone is where you are um, both not interested in the topic and you're bad at it. Um, And so that's the zone that I want to avoid. And I've been in that zone a few times last year. And so I want to shift my workload. And luckily, my my group at work is doing this as well, where we're shifting our workloads to where sometimes I do work that is challenging for me because I have to sit there and figure something out by myself. But at least it's an interesting topic on an interesting project. Or I'm willing to be in a really collaborative situation where I can really um, work with people on a topic that I don't really care about as long as it's not um, exhausting a lot of my energy. And so that's how that's played out at work. And outside of work, that's been a huge journey for me the past year as I've um, realized that my life stage is changing. I'm no longer a free-spirited college student who can get Whataburger at 3 a.m., and well, I still can. And sometimes I still you'd do. be up to do that. I, you know that I would. And yes. you know that I would sacrifice my sleep to if someone invited me to Whataburger at 3 a.m., I would go hands down. No questions asked um, at, at at the expense of everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it has been a, a growing process where I'm learning to spend more quality time by myself. And the ways that I do that, the biggest way is um, extroverts everywhere will kind of acknowledge this is um, being alone in public. Um, it's a it's a thing where people like me will just go to a coffee shop and spend hours and hours there um, kind of like reading or working on personal projects. But as long as there's external stimulus, like there can be intentional work on uh, a form of solitude that's kind of more comfortable where I'm still reading, I'm still um, self-reflecting, and yet I have enough stimulus around me to help me think clearly and um, intentionally. And another way that's happened is being more comfortable at home. And so making my home a place where I really want to spend time. So recently, um, My roommates and I installed some bookcases in a front room in our house, and I arranged all the books really in a really aesthetically pleasing way, which makes me want to sit there and read even by myself because the environment is conducive to that. Yeah, so it sounds like you've done a pretty good job of figuring out how you can Maybe at work, if you're needing to work on something by yourself, picking a project that interests you, or if you're going to be at home looking to see, oh, what can I do with my roommates? How can I make even just the home I live in a place I would want to spend time? So if you do find yourself at home, you want to be there or even just being able to pursue a creative outlet, a a hobby, like you have something productive to do. 
as we wrap up our our first episode, uh, I think it's always helpful to think of what what would be our one takeaway that we want our listeners to to walk away with as they're taking out the earbuds or um you know turning off the the podcast. What uh what is the one thing that you think that you hope people will take away from our discussion today? I think I want to use my story as an example of how people are incredibly unique and stereotypes that exist in media or society, they definitely don't capture the intricacies of human personality. And I want to encourage people, um, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or an engineer or um, a scholar in Chinese politics and economics, um, I, I want everyone to have the willingness and the excitement of understanding people different from them and understanding the range of um, personality and the range of uniqueness that's in the human experience. And I want us to become better ambassadors for bridging those those gaps and, and understanding how not only other people work, but how best to interact with them. Yeah, I mean, that's a great takeaway. Just, I think, really appreciating those those subtle differences and how those differences are important, how they're useful for our interactions that make our interactions richer, more fulfilling. And yeah, I think there's something about understanding people's skills, their motivations, how they're wired. I think even just for me, you know, asking you these questions, getting to this episode with you, it's like, wow, this was an opportunity to better understand Joel and other friends like him. I hope that's something that I can take with me when I encounter other extroverted engineers. Um, so yeah, it's been great. I really enjoyed getting to ask you these questions and hopefully our, our listeners feel like they get to know you better and get to take a glimpse inside your world. Yeah. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for, for joining us. It was great to be with you. Um, I'm your host, Ted, joined by my co-host, Joel Sam. Thanks for listening to Ven. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at VenThePodcast. And if you'd like to send us a question or comment, you can do so at VenThePodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, leave us a review at Apple Podcasts.